Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 66. The Boost Mobile Margaret River Pro presented by Corona, stop number four on the 2021 WSL Championship Tour, is upon us starting on May 2nd. Make sure you get your fantasy team sorted at worldsurfleague.com backslash fantasy and join the Lineup Podcast Fantasy League if you haven't already. The world's best surfers, the mighty West for two events. I'm very much looking forward to it. All right, episode 66. Today's guest is someone who has been a perennial world title contender for over a decade. She blazed onto the Elite Championship Tour with major fanfare as a rookie in 2009. And amongst the world's best surfers, she has collected an impressive 10 CT victories and finished a phenomenal nine out of 11 seasons in the top five in the world, which is just incredible. Even so, she believes that her best surfing is still ahead of her, and so do I. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with Jeroa's Sally Fitzgibbons. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. Let's talk to your boxes. All right, we have the Sally Fitzgibbons on the lineup. Sally, thanks for joining us today. Dave, it's an absolute pleasure. I feel like <laughs> when you start a podcast and claim it, um, it's going to be a good one. It is a good one. And thanks to one of your sponsors, a supporter of this episode, Boost Mobile, for keeping us connected. How are you doing today? Where are you today? And, and who are you hanging with? I am coming to you from home, which is a really special treat because we're supposed to have been on the road and never returned for about six to eight months. So it's, um, it's still to this day, it's the hardest thing, you know, to pack up and leave my little piece of paradise and utopia. And um, yeah, it's such a joy just to roll back over the hill and yeah, call this place home. Did you get to surf today yet? Are you going to surf? What's going on? Well, I tried to do the like, keep it youthful. It's a little too high tide on a few of my spots. So I jumped, it's starting to get a little bit chilly. So I jumped in the <laughs> pool and it just kind of that full zing, you know, ice cream headache vibe. But I feel like it keeps you youthful like the Russians say. <laughs> like the Russians say. <laughs> yeah, then they jump in like ice water and stuff and then, yeah, take the plunge. I read this book about uh, like ultra marathon runners and they're saying that there's like it was a whole book about like you shouldn't wear shoes and like the Tatahamata Indians like they don't wear shoes or Native Americans they don't wear shoes and that's why they're such good runners and they were talking about the Russians and how to train for distance running they would get a ladder and that they would jump off the ladder bare feet onto the concrete and like to train they just go up and up the ladder and you weren't ready to be a distance runner until you're at like 12 to 15 feet up and could land on your feet on the concrete and then your feet were apparently according to the russians ready to to run marathons oh my gosh that's so hardcore like the craziest thing i did for my running was learn to rollerblade to strengthen my ankles and but they didn't want me to fall so i had like literally like bubble wrap and stuff and then <laughs> I wasn't allowed to do any jumps or anything cool. Like I just had to literally just go up and down and like for my distance running. <laughs> well, in preparation for this conversation, I was thinking about 
how long you and I have known each other and when the first time it was that we probably met. And I figured out that we've known each other for over a decade, uh, which is nuts. But I have a very vivid memory of our introduction to one another. And it was 2009, it was on the Gold Coast, you were a rookie. You were definitely on the surfing world's radar before that, but it's round one of the Roxy Pro Gold Coast. It was held at like clean little wedges at Duranbaugh. And at the time, she was the then two-time world champ, Steph Gilmore, and she just surfed at the heat before yours, and she won, and I was doing media, so we did the post-heat interview. And she and I were standing on the hill watching your heat, and you just tore the bag out of these waves. You posted an 18.77 out of a possible 20, and beating like an on-fire Silvana Lima, who posted like an 18.67, and Steph, who I was standing next to, just had to pick her jaw up like off the ground at how well you surfed. And I was thinking about that and I'm like, I've never seen anything like that before or since in terms of making such a statement and an impression in your first event as a rookie. And I was going to ask, do you remember that similarly to how I remember that? Gosh, though, yeah, I remember it vividly, that, that moment, yeah, when you go, I'm on tour, like I'm putting on the jersey. And that morning, actually... I went for like the free surf and warmed up and I came up the beach and it was this moment where Paco, we, like we met at kind of the track and I was like thinking like, hey, I'm on tour with Paco, like I'm, I'm here <laughs> and I was so excited and he said to me, he's like, oh, you know, if you come to watch the event, um, <laughs> blah, 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 like he didn't really know that I'd qualified and was like ready to go and he's like, oh, and I was like, no, no, like I'm in it. He's like, oh, like a wild card. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> in my head, but I was still too frothing to talk to Parker that I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 wildcard or something. <laughs> and then, and then I, um, yeah, I put the jersey on and at the time there was a lot of buzz obviously around Silvana at the time and, and all the progression, progression and, and I was like, wow, okay, like I just have to show up and do the surfing I know. Yeah, there was just all this hype, and then she kind of landed in air. She got a 10 in that heat, and I was like, I don't care how many 10s you're going to get. Like, I'm going to win this heat. And I think um, right from the outset, I knew um, I had to keep kind of stepping it up against against the big dogs, against the champs, and um, that was kind of the feeling and emotion behind it. I was like, no, I'm just going to keep going and ended up um, bagging the two nines and getting the win. So I want to get to all the stuff in between and certainly before that. But since we're fresh off of Narrabeen, I want to get your impressions of that event. Specifically, I guess, just in terms of what we're talking about, compared to your very first heat as a rookie, like how does it feel surfing somewhere like Narrabeen now after 10 years on tour? Like what is your mindset like in that kind of an event? It was pretty nostalgic, actually. When I, I showed up and, and I'd put in a little time just to reacquaint myself before we arrived like uh, about a month ago and it was pretty crazy because I went through and did all my homework and actually came up with, I was like, why is that like that lineup when I was looking um, from out the back and there's kind of like, a house, I won't reveal my secrets, but some sort of building <laughs> and some sort of pathway. <laughs> and then anyway, it's pretty obvious, but I was, um, I was like, this feels so just like normal. And I'd come up with the same exact lineups and markers that I did without rehearsal back when I was doing World Juniors, which is pretty crazy, and, and some pro junior events. And, yeah, it just felt good to be out there and, and kind of established. And, and that's what it feels like now to be 
in the locker room and showing up at world tour events. I just kind of feel, I just feel really like me and just really established in that I've lived a lot of life on this tour, but I've still got a lot more to give and a lot more to learn. So yeah, it's kind of a cool feeling. I, um, you know, Nerebin being the world junior championships venue for, for 10 years, I, I was really pushing the marketing team to grab all that footage from pretty much everyone on tour who competed in it when they were like a teenager. And I'm like, we should use that to market the event and like a real like throwback thing, but that got shot down. So maybe next time. Oh, you that is so cool. You should use Parker's trick on like, you know, like Isabella Nichols and just be like, oh, are you a wild card in this event? Just psych her out. <laughs> 100%. I know in the locker room, I'm always put next to like either Marcy or like Carolyn or any of the rookies. So I've been trying to steal their wax and move their stuff and kind of like freak them out a little bit. But they're, yeah, they're pretty robust. They're, um, they're just so in their zone and they're hard to crack though. I, I think that maybe that started with you. I feel like you were one of the first like impossible to crack rookies that came through the system. But like as far as competing now, like we had the non-season of 2020. I'm curious as to how you handled that non-season and then going into, let's face it, like the 2020-21 season is, is there's a lot of uncertainty. So as an athlete, like how did you handle the time off and how are you approaching this year knowing that that it's not as stable as it's going to be, say, in like 2022. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like when I was, you know, amidst the pandemic and I don't really kind of consider it as like time off, you were still dealing with a lot of emotional kind of baggage and you were learning how to like pivot and pivot really quickly, but more so like how to channel all that energy. The energy I didn't realize that went into – Gosh, showing up at one of the events and, and going on the, you know, the traveling circus that we all love, but that up and at them and constant movement. Yeah. You know, when it was a pause, it, it didn't feel like, oh, I'm on this relaxing holiday. You know, you were always kind of like, well, I'm half prepped. Maybe something will pop up. Something may show up. Like even to, to show up for your own, I guess, progression and, and taking yourself into the next level on a daily, you still have to be like, whoa, okay, I'm going to go try this thing I haven't tried before. And and you're probably stacking it a million times a day. And you both, like, it, it, yeah, it is kind of grueling no matter which way you look. If you're fully in this and, and you want to keep moving forward, it doesn't matter if there's an event on or a pandemic on, you got to show up for yourself every day. So it kind of does feel like you're still going for this world title or it might be the world title of, this new maneuver you're doing or the world title of um, training and, and, and bringing your body up to a certain level. So in a way, yeah, it was time off and, and you did have that recharge that you weren't hopping back on a plane every second week. Um, mm. So the body did love it, but um, yeah, it was more a chance to learn how to like, yeah, really channel and be really specific and, and focus in on the goals you want to achieve. That makes a lot of sense. Like surfing, we've had this conversation a few times, but it's so dissimilar to other sports in that if you take basketball, for example, you might have like like physical gifts and you might train really hard and you might have all this talent and you can carry yourself with a certain amount of swagger because it's a static field of play. It's a court, you know, the, the basketball hoops always 10 feet off the ground and like, you know, the three point lines always at the same distance. And sure, there are like dynamic elements to it in terms of your teammates and the people you're playing against, but you can carry quite a lot of swagger knowing that you're the 
best athlete basketball player on the court in surfing. It's not like that, right? Because of the ocean. And it's like, you can do all the training you want. You can be the best surfer you want, but surfing in heats and surfing better than your opponent in 30 minutes can come down to the ocean. And I feel like it actually lowers the ceiling on swagger or it has traditionally in surfing. I think even the best surfers, there's like this element of humility because they're like, well, we'll see what happens because, you know, the ocean's in charge. But maybe that's changing a little bit because you see guys and, and, and you see men and women on tour surfing at such an elite level and looking like they're so locked in that they're kind of carrying extra, extra swagger compared to years past. What, what are your thoughts on that? I've been trying to work on my swag again there when I walk into the <laughs> locker room. Or maybe my like my angry face, intimidating face, like grew, like get off my wave, but it's not really working um, at this point. I think I just have so much joy in being surrounded by good surfing and mm. and the performances we see on tour. Like I'm just as big a fan of this sport as I am in it as like a contender. You know what? I show up and it feels like I'm, I don't know, I've just jumped into a real life surf movie. And, and I feel that that's what sets me up to, to keep going. I look around and there's inspiration everywhere. And it's just like, you never know that, especially in what we've been through in a year in the dark, like what I call in the pandemic year, you kind of like, you're working towards this invisible goal. You have no idea, like <laughs> ever. You never know if that's like, good enough or if that will come out under pressure you just kind of like archiving it and going you know on this certain day all these planets could align and this could happen I could land the biggest thing like I've ever tried in the jersey or will I ever even see that opportunity I don't know so there's all these different buckets going on at once as you said you got to show up and play the game and compete in that heat but you're always getting pressured by the other side of your brain that's like wants this ultimate performance to come out that you've trained for. So um, it is pretty polarizing and it's like, yeah, it's like kind of walking through it all blindfolded. Being a contender yourself and being such a fan of it, are there any things that you're seeing from your unique perspective being like literally in the water with the world's best surfers in the locker room that you think maybe the public isn't seeing? Like, like, is there any anything that like just surfer related that people are like you're hearing about in the media or hearing about on social media where where people are saying one thing about a surfer or one thing about surfing. But you're from your perspective, you're like, nah, they're kind of missing it. Mm, I, yeah, I, I definitely consider that we see the realistic view like we might have a bunch of people like following our journey and really supportive and they believe in it so much. And. Yeah, don't get me wrong, the desire is there from the athlete side, but the the realistic view is that, gosh, like 95% of the time is going to end in failure. Like if you're showing up and if you don't put your heart into it and your soul and you're like, say, I'm here to win, it's like, but you got to kind of like put your heart out there <laughs> for it to get crushed a lot of the time. <laughs> you're walking away from these events and you just like, oh and it stings every single time and I think over the years you just start to like you got to put runs on the board you just got to be able to like absorb it and not think to yourself wow I've copped a hit my surfing's not good enough I'm not good mm. enough to be here like what am I doing here it's just like whoa yeah that's pretty expected I want it all to happen but this event wasn't the one and it's like okay on to the next one. I really want to win one of these things. When you're looking at a calendar year, 
Like you're like, realistically, if I can win one or two of these things, it's going to be the best year ever, you know, competitively. And maybe when I do reflect back, I look in the review and when I first started out, maybe my chances were, you know, a little greater at like claiming this title or claiming Mm. numerous event wins. But I'm like, it may be a bit harder now with how the level is and everyone's kind of evened out and it's like, like I'm going to still show up and say that I can do this and believe I can do it. Um, it may be a little bit harder, but and we've got new generations on the tour, but it's like something in me just won't let me stop. Like I haven't, you know, come this far, I guess, to only, I guess, in a sense, like come this far. <laughs> like, totally. I feel like I want to see what's next. The, the champion's mindset thing is really interesting, I think, in surfing, right? Because you can take... At any given moment, there are, I don't know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of surfers on the planet. And only the tiniest, tiniest fraction of them ever even put like an amateur jersey on, you know? And then an even smaller fraction of that group ever do the pro juniors. And again for the QS and again for the CT. So, like, by the time you get to the top 34 and the top 17, like, that is such an elite, high level of talent group. And that's always something that I, I like to just call out is it's something that almost doesn't transcend the marketing in the surfing world or even the webcast is the level of difference between each of those stages, especially when you get to the CT, because every surfer can beat almost every other surfer at like any spot every time. And it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard. Like it is so hard to, oh, even just for it to happen in that 30 minutes and to walk away when you maybe only, gosh, only got two opportunities or even the other day when I was like watching the heartbreaker for Canola and he got like a point eight. It's like, how is that fathomable? Like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like you work so, got, yeah, so hard. And then you really are surrendering to the fact of like whatever waves come, whatever scenario comes, I'm open to this and I'm going to apply myself to it. Um, but back to your point on that, it's such a small group and such a unique opportunity that we walk around most days and people that try and kind of relate to it, they're like, so what do you mean? Like, how do you do that? Like, so you just get to do this. Like, they still, it's still such a rare thing for people to bump into of like, yeah, I travel the world, I ride the best waves and I compete for you know, a world title with these other 17 women and a, and a wild card and they're still like, I don't understand how this works. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're rolling around with a smile on your face going, well, life's pretty good. And But it's not that I didn't sort of shape this reality and, and day in, day out I wake up and and I work towards it every single day. That Like I don't even consider it as a nine to five and there's some weekends and some holidays. Like I don't kind of step it out like that. I'm like, I'm committed to this. I just feel like I've won the lottery and I'm just going to keep showing up and putting in the work because yeah even good day bad day it's all pretty special well let's talk about how you became who you are and wind the clock back are we allowed to call out your hometown or you want to keep it secret oh hometown well I I don't really keep it a very close secret (laughs) (laughs) so it is it's Jaroa um it's a small little blip on the map but it's um yeah my little utopia and you grew up there. You're born, born and raised. Born and raised and reside. Yep, that's correct. And when did you discover surfing? At what age? 
I was really young. So I had my, my boogie board from like two, three, four, and then I got three older brothers. And so around like five or six, I was, um, I was just nagging, nagging, and um, they were all kind of conquering out the back of the lineup kind of vibe. And I was like, oh, I want to be out with all the cool kids. So, yeah, my old man, Marty, he, um, he started pushing me into waves and, yeah, just hooked, loved it. But, yeah, it was just our playground and our daycare and everything. Um, and we had the safe, like, safest little nook there uh, where on the beach you could kind of wade out in the water for a long way before it, like, drops off. So it was like this perfect little kind of Waikiki vibe on sand. <laughs> but that and surfing wasn't the only thing that you got interested in because you were you you got interested in and then excelled at other sports. What were some of the other things that you were into in, as a kid? Oh gosh, I played everything. Yeah, I I loved it. I was a sport nut. Yeah, we were kind of surrounded by I guess having brothers. They're all <laughs> they want to play games, so we were kicking footies, playing cricket, running. And then the competitive vibe comes from like them kind of daring you to do stuff. And you're like, I can run a lap of like town faster than you and, and I can kick a football like further than you. And um, so when I actually got to organize sports, I, I was um, kind of looking around going, oh, I'm like, I've kind of one up these kids. Like <laughs> I'm going pretty good at these sports. And, and that felt good as a kid. I loved it. Um, so yeah, everything from touch football in Australia is um, a game a lot of us play. I played a lot of soccer and then athletics. Uh, and then kind of one of my major other sports was running, middle distance running and cross country. Uh, and that for me was like a really pure one. I felt like you didn't even need to wait for waves or swell or anything or even the sun to come up. I was like, this is awesome. You could just put shoes on and we're in such a safe little neighborhood that I just before school and after school, I'd, you know, put the shoes on and just even race the school bus home, throw my bag on. And I just thought like everything was the ultimate game. It's funny. I, I was talking to someone about this a few weeks ago because we had a, a pretty good winter of, of waves in California. And then I knew that uh, one week it was just going to be like awful, awful winds. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get my fix. And I started kind of just walking these uh, ridge trails out the back of the Ventura County here. And I was talking to someone after a week of doing it and I said, you know, I love surfing. I'm going to keep surfing, you know, as much as I can. But the amount of energy that goes into like, where's the sand? Like, what's the wind doing? Like, what's the tide doing? Like, should I check it before breakfast? What about after lunch? Like, compared to the trail, which I just turn up at six o'clock and say every day, like, it's I'm like it's so much, I'm like, I still can't like a fix. It's not the same thing, but I'm like, man, like the amount of energy that goes into surfing, even before you paddle out is, is significant. Oh, I consider being a surfer is like relating to the ocean is like having a screaming toddler. Like it just <laughs> screams at you all the time. Like it's like now, now, like in the middle of your day, I'm great now. So if you don't drop everything and come and surf me, then I'm gone. Like I drop my <laughs> lollies and I'm out of here. And it's just you're constantly thinking on it. And um, that's what I find for me. It's very therapeutic. My running, I feel like, is an outlet. Um, even if I'll go out for a warm-up surf around the comp and there's just a ton of energy out there and I may not have caught any waves. Like I just had to watch people ride all the waves I wanted to ride (laughs) (laughs) and um, or a result may have gone a different way or whatever it may be um, I found that it's really that that time I can go and contemplate things and just rearrange my brain and and organize those energies and um, yeah it's been a really cool outlet for me. 
Whether it was you know, running or soccer or something else, did you ever consider pursuing a career in something that wasn't surfing in terms of sports? Oh, I definitely had the vision that I wanted to be an Olympic runner. So when I watched, uh, you know, the Olympics roll into town at Sydney, I was 10 years old and it was huge, you know, like we got our tickets in the ballot and everything and jumped on the train, got up there. So to watch um, Kathy Freeman win the 400 metre gold for Australia was like, that was pretty influential, pretty significant. I came home. I told mum and dad I wanted to get like a bodysuit. She wore this like full spacesuit kind of vibe. And I was like, I just, I started running around town actually because they wouldn't get me a bodysuit um, in my wetsuit in the mornings. So I was like, I'll just wear like a wetsuit. <laughs> Worked out that was Close awful. Close enough, yeah. yeah. And then back <laughs> yeah, then, you remember what neoprene was like with the zips up the back? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was horrendous. Um, and then I'd just run laps of the town. Um, and that's how I kept kind of, channeling into that Olympic dream. And I was fortunate enough, though, to go off to the Youth Olympics for the 8 and 1500. And um, that was really cool, like to be represent your country um, as a youngster and, and running those races. And that was kind of the pinnacle of my career to claim gold in those two events. And then at the time, I just, I don't know, the surfing kind of thread was still pulling, you know, and mm. and I was like, this is cool, like I run and everything and then it was almost a bit of like a drop the mic. I was like, oh, but surfing's just all of this, <laughs> like it's adventure and um, as well as like competing for titles and stuff. Jesus. I mean, winning gold medals at the Junior Olympics is huge. Were you a, a sponsored surfer at the same time? I, I, I understand, of course, the draw away from of surfing from anything, running in particular for me, but were, did you have kind of like a career pathway in terms of sponsorship, in terms of them being like, hey, look, there's something over here if you want to really dive into it at the same time? Yeah, I was kind of on that like sliding doors moment where it was, I guess, the surf boom in a way, like the back mm. of the 90s through the early 2000s. So I was sponsored super young, like you get your first start, you go up, Rite of Passage, competing Grand Fest and uh, and then, yeah, you kind of meet with those brands and you get the phone call at home. Um, for me, my first brand I was with was Billabong at uh, 11 and so you kind of get your weddies and your sticker and you do all that fun stuff. Uh, but then moving through and um, transitioning over to Roxy at the age of like 13, 14, it, did, it started to kind of create this pathway um, and they kind of stepped it out of like, this is where you would go towards. And at the time you're just kind of doing everything still. And then it hit that about 15, 16, where it's like, well, even body and training wise was, you know, you're starting to get that to that level of running where you're doing double sessions in the day as well as your double surfs. And <laughs> I don't know how I was fitting, fitting it all in, but there was a few sessions you'd just be like, you know, limping down to the surf because you're just so beat up, you know, you just run 1K reps and run yourself into oblivion and you're sitting there and you just, oh, you're ready to like throw up, you're just exhausted and um, push your body to the limit and then you kind of put your body on, you're like, no, nah, no, nah, I can still get out and surf and um, the two helped because once you'd surfed, it felt like the ultimate recovery. Mm. It just restored everything. I don't know, it was just like the magic elixir any runners are out there, I just recommend just go face plant into the ocean because every time I'd come out and I was like, oh, I'm ready for another session. So 
I think youth was on my side, Dave, but I did, <laughs> Jeez, I did I love, so. <laughs> I did love everything about it, and I think yeah, running will be with me forever for sure. So you signed with, um, as you said, in the surfing boom with Roxy at 14 and 15, and you were one of, if not their marquee surfer for, for a number of years. How many years were you with them for? Oh, I did my tutelage with them. I was, gosh, for about 10 years. Yep. Um, and, and at the time, yeah, it was like, well, I was like, wow, the, the height of um, the surf industry, this is a brand you want to be with. Um, Sophia and, and Chelsea were winning uh, world titles uh, and it felt like a little bit like rock star vibe, you know. Mm. Um, when I was still going to these events uh, as wild cards or as, as caddies to check out um, what these tour locations were like, you know, if one of the Roxy athletes had won, there was just like the biggest parties and <laughs> everything's on the team credit card and get what you want, Grom, you know, and, and you were shouted to kind of all this luxury stuff and trips and boat trips. Oh, gosh, I loved it. It was insane. And then that kind of coattailed onto my partnership with Red Bull and that kind of was that seven-year hiatus with them. And there was nothing I felt like I, you know, I was held back from or, or didn't get to experience in this industry. And um, eyes wide open and I just, you know, tried to navigate it because, man, it came through so fast. It was just like a hurricane. And you hit it at almost the exact right time because, you know, after 2008, it contracted. It's arguably still contracting in a lot of ways. And, you know, for a lot of surfers, both across the men's and the women's championship tour, even to this day, they're without any kind of sponsorship or support. But you, you've done really, really well in terms of attracting what were previously considered almost impossible to get non-endemic partnerships. And it, it does seem like you have that work ethic and appeal that transcends surfing in a lot of ways. Is that something that you were kind of self-aware of post, post, you know, Roxy Red Bull years? I don't know if I was like, so I, I think I was just absorbing it as I went, Dave. I sort of went, hmm. okay, from a young age, I considered that there's, there's these two parallel paths and I have to operate in both of them. One's going to help the other. And then if I can, Ultimately, whatever feeds me to be able to travel the world and be able to show up at these events and compete, I'm going to do it and going to do wholeheartedly and, and give it my best in a way. So I consider the two paths of like there's these two businesses running alongside each other. And I was like, okay, so I have to kind of build this avatar of like, I don't know, like when I first showed up at these shoots at the age of, 11 to 14, it scared the living daylights out of me. I was like, what do I got to do? I got to put this bikini on and walk along the beach. And I've grown up on the South Coast with brothers. Like I used to wear like the most odd like clothing choices, just long bodies, little tomboy vibe. And, and then to be thrust into this spotlight of promoting the lifestyle of the sport and being trusted with that in a way, I was like, wow okay, I better, I better learn quick. I, you know, so I just studied like I would my surfing. I was like, this side of um, who I am and, and, you know, being a part of these brands, if I study this really well, like in a sense, I can build a really successful brand that will give me a platform to compete for as long as I want to compete. So yeah, I'd, I'd show up and they would always have like, maybe like the lifestyle model alongside the athletes and that kind of jazz. And so it was like, well, they're paid to do this side of the sport. 
as well. I mean, you know, this this gig. And I was like, well, they must be somewhat trained. And I'd just sit there in the back just kind of watching. I was like, so that's where you put your leg and your arm and your face and don't smile too much there and smile here. <laughs> like it's, it is wild. It's like learning a playbook. And at that young age, yeah, I just tried to hone in on that and, and, and listen to, listen to these brands of like, okay, if you're going to somewhat like pay me to promote this campaign, I better know everything about it. Like I want to know what makes you tick in a sense. I go, I got to learn this brand and where's this campaign going and who are we trying to reach? Like who are we talking Mm. to? And then I would try and take that on board and formulate my own version, like bring my own authenticity to it. I'm like, well, this is me and this is how I see it. So I kind of always saw it as like the ultimate voice for myself. And then I was, I'd put that into it and like kind of, pray that that's, I don't know, the image that they saw too. And and often it would. It would come out um, somewhat what I was thinking or, or the way I am or have my attributes kind of all across it. And um, and the more I kind of jumped into it, it, it became less scary and I started having more fun and, and just realised the people I was meeting from whether it's makeup artists, like directors, filmers, like some of the stuff I look back on I think oh my gosh like how did I even know how to do this or learn this but in a way I guess I'm proud of of the work I've done with my team and um, to this day I still feel like I'm the same kid as when I started this all which is important I guess. Well and it feels like geez there's a lot to unpack there but like it's I I (laughs) love the insight on you approaching the I'll get to the double standard thing in a minute, but the modeling side of being a pro surfer from like a student's perspective of like, this is a profession and there are things I can learn and there's things I can take. Cause I do think that that just objectively has created a very resilient Sally Fitzgibbons brand that continues to evolve, right? Where there's probably been people in the past, both men and women who haven't done that work. They haven't done the personal brand work in all sports and that their personal brand is actually tied to their sponsor so much that when the sponsor's done, so is that personal brand in a way. And the double standard thing too, I want to get to, because it is something we've talked about on this podcast a few times, but you came through the system at a very interesting time in that there was a era of huge premium placed on like non-surf female talent, you know, and this is sort of chronicled in the recent Girls Can't Surf documentary and um, the brands were more interested in paying models as opposed to athletes, which again is insane because you look on the men's side and, and, and let's face it, like some of the world's best surfers are not models by any standard in terms of, of male surfers. And yet the brands don't kind of pay for male models to stand next to like CT Surfer X. So you had to kind of go through that. And you also had to go through it during a time of like increased exposure on the social media side. So there were just so many things that you, I'd say kind of navigated very, very successfully, but not everyone did necessarily. And I don't know where I was going with that. I just wondered if you'd kind of reflect on on that with me in, in the sense of how you your trajectory came through at a very interesting time in professional surfing. Yeah, it's a lot to digest, wasn't it? At the time, I didn't know what I was digesting. Like I feel when you start out, you're doing your somewhat apprenticeship. You don't get a lot of choice in the matter if the bikini or wetsuit you wanted to wear, your favourite colour was blue and 
this one's pink, you got to wear the pink one. Like it's not like you don't have a choice. And then in a, in a way though, you start to learn, okay, this is what's happening. This is how it works. And then if you, I guess, are strong enough to take creative control, there was a moment where I stepped out into this non-endemic world. When I look at the brands that I'm surrounded by now, there's a point it came to where it was like, whew, like I had to step out from under these, like the wing of the, the surf industry and all the, the protection of like, well, this is your home. This is like where you're going to get support. Like why would you go out there? And going out there, I took all those lessons and, and things I knew about and I was like, well, I'm going to have some creative choice now. I feel like it's my time to go out and I didn't know what brands I would gravitate towards or what is actually available or going to happen. But I was able to step out there with this experience and go and shape things that I was passionate about and had my real voice. And and I had, I guess, a, a great run into a lot of health and fitness and the boom of that. So I really feel like I've I've kind of had these moment, like blossoming moments or like chapters and I just go, okay, each one's helped the other. And I can't speak for anyone else, but it doesn't, you don't go through it unscathed. Like you don't go through it having your worst days where you're like, oh, that didn't come out the way I thought. Or yeah, as you said, that was a little too revealing. I didn't, you know, looking back, I maybe I, I didn't feel comfortable going that far with things and but you have to go to these extremes in order to find your medium mm. and then at, at the moment I, I really tried to develop I guess a sustainable way of being and living in this industry and yeah you're going to cop your hits but but when you do get it right it feels like winning any heat or any world title or you know the the teams I've worked with the you know the highlights that I've had yeah you know at times people have said wow, you did way too much. You did, I wouldn't take it back for the world because I've learned all these extra skills and seen the light and shades of these industries. And uh, I go out and, I, and I'm still showing up to whether it's a, a shoot, an interview, a documentary or something like a, something I'm launching. And I'm like, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm still stoked to be here. And I've, you know, I'm 20 years down the track, so I must be somewhat uh where i want to be or or doing what i love for sure and and there's almost kind of three broad baskets of image projection or like even like social media projection and it's like there's one basket that is like total unfiltered thoughts like here they are like this is who i am like zero zero barrier between who i put myself out into the world and who i am like in real life you know and then on the other end, there's just the like, no, like I'm totally private person. No one gets to access me. And then in the middle, there's kind of this version of curation where this is who I am to the world, but I'm keeping some things private because that's my life. Which basket do you think that you fall into and, and why? That's a great question. I feel when you're going through that, like, teenage growing up in the spotlight and you're going through the teenage years and early 20s it's almost like it's expected that yeah the public service role of your job like I don't come across many that have so many um, dimensions to it like as you said I feel like you have this moment like ultimately you're trying to hold on tight as tight as you can to the fact that you started this because 
I want to I want to surf the best I possibly can. I want to be the best athlete I possibly can, and I want to win world titles. And now, like I want to win Olympic gold medals. And so that's your core, and and you still want to have that joy and that ah, just the pure the pureness to it, and and just stay there all day. But you know, you need these other layers of the shell to contribute to that and give it the heartbeat. It's like okay. And so all that stuff comes in and clouds your mind and your energy's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You got to do this interview, that interview, this brand thing, that thing. You want to do this project. Now it's got legs. It's running over here. And so there's all this stuff like chaos everywhere. And you just got to keep that cool of like, as that comes in, filter it. And like, does that impact where I want to go in my direction? Is that going to help me to become the best surfer or help inspire someone else from what I'm doing and so it goes through this like filtered process now whereas possibly at the start it's just you don't feel like you have the time to do that or the leverage for that fact you're this young rookie coming up Mm. no one really knows your story and and that kind of jazz so yeah I'd say that you were so exposed that you gave everything because you didn't know what those barriers were and then slowly as you step along you're like huh, okay, it's not that big a rush. It's not the end of the world. Um, working with that brand would be awesome and lovely, but that's going to take up like two weeks of my preparation time for this really important event. And so I'm pri- prioritising surfing. So it almost uh, feels as though I've re- reverse engineered. It's like full <laughs> Benjamin Button style. That like you do everything to, to build up that platform and your brand and so then it gives you this freedom now to go and and just be that core surfer which maybe on the men's side may have been flipped the other way and but in a way everyone's going to kind of have to experience that same juggling act i think that makes a ton of sense i think it goes like beyond surfing too and and i think you in particular fascinating case study because you do have such a massive global following, but it does feel like you've, especially in recent years, like deliberately kept parts of your life for you as you should, you know? And, and it reminds me of, you know, Ryan Callanan was on the podcast and he said this and it really struck me where he goes, you know, surfing is just one of those things that's impossible to say no to because we love it. So it's like, it's always like more and more and more. Yes, yes, yes. But learning how to say no, not even just to surfing, but just in terms of like, no, like not everyone gets to access this part of my life. Like that's for me is, is really something that, as you said, you, you earn the leverage to start saying no, which is so important, right? Oh, for sure. I guess there's that moment where, I don't know, I, I kind of pause and right now, we're like we're talking about brands and structures and framework and this, like I've learned what the terminology to talk about it is, but Really, uh, the essence of it is that I realized that we have all this technology and we were actually we came on tour when it was like the birth of Instagram and and all these things. So that's pretty wild, too, to navigate. Like we didn't even know what that was when we started. And um, (laughs) (laughs) and so it all it it has flown by. But in a sense, like I've I've just been. I don't know, I started here in Jaroa and just found it the most joyful experience ever to run around these headlands, to surf these waves, to just 
experience like nature and and movement in my body and I was like I want to do this forever like and I have so much joy so many conversations in my head daily of like that's the prettiest thing I've ever seen or that's so beautiful or how's that dolphin how's that seagull how's this and I just thought to myself there's there is a a lot going on in the world and I'm not going to solve the world's problems but if I can with what I do like I have platforms and I get to meet a lot of people and stuff if I can just share a little bit of my favorite things in a day even when I post a social thing I'm like what was one of the best things about today like that I could spread and a lot of people go oh you're just smiling all the time is that like a put-on thing like are you <laughs> I was like I don't know I don't know I just I just find that if I'm happy I smile and so you'll know when I'm really happy and if I share a little bit of that and you know, I've always loved telling stories, listening to stories, and that's that's how I feel how we learn and share culture and um, share a lot of happiness. So at the core of all that, if you stripped it all back, that's all I'm really doing is going around the world, connecting with people and sharing some of my favourite bits about what, like I have this really strong feeling and urge when I'm at my happiest. I'm like, oh, I wish I could share that little bit with someone that's around. Because <laughs> often you're training by yourself or down south here, surfing by yourself, Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, and so, yeah, you are. You spend a lot of time solo and travelling the way we do on the tour. It's a very isolating thing. You don't yeah. see a lot. To do this job really well, you don't see a lot of people, like when you're not in the height of putting that jersey on. It's really calm. It's polarising. So you need mm. that space um, for yourself to grow and, and perform well and train hard and all that kind of thing. So... Yeah, so I don't know in a sense, like that question obviously has a lot of tentacles, but when I do strip it all back, that's what it kind of looks like. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Well, I've got a couple more topics and we've got some listener questions for you, but first we're going to take a quick break to get in a word from our sponsors. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new docuseries and a celebration of our culture, bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne DeFay, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash at Samsung. So we talked a little bit about the fanfare of you coming on tour. And by any objective measure, you've had radical success. This is your 12th season on tour. You finished in the top five nine times, which is incredible. You've got 10 CT wins to your name. However, as you mentioned, no world title. And in fact, you've had three consecutive runner-up finishes in 2010, 2011, and 2012. Talk to me a bit about getting close and not winning the world title in those years. Are you are you still happy that you're performing well at the time? Or does it mean nothing without a world title? Is it is it psychologically taxing to get that close and not win? What was it like in that stretch of in of runner-ups? You get to experience all of that, Dave. <laughs> Everything. You get to cry into your pillow, you get to yell, scream, you get to be like, oh, I'm so close. That's exciting. At the time, I guess, when you're in the midst of those title races, you're like, wow, okay, it's like so, yeah, it's so right there that when you do have the pitfall where it doesn't work out and the siren blows and you're like, oh, and the the other world champion's getting carried up the beach, oh, your heart is like pulling your heart out and just throwing it on the ground, just stomping on it, it just smashes into a million pieces I ran a lot of Ks that I ran a lot <laughs> over my time. Just got is to run you, this one off. Is that how you clear your head? Oh, yeah. There was this one loss that, gosh, I just put my shoes on. I was like, I'm just going to run until this stops hurting. I ended up running an unofficial marathon, Dave. That was, that was a lot. My legs were really sore. Which, uh, which I, I got to know. I got to know which loss and where was this. <laughs> oh, that was a loss in, uh, in New Zealand, actually. And great friend Coco was, she was, um, yeah, she caused that pain. But in the midst of all these title races was just, there's these moments where it's literally like one heat or like, or then you keep going down to that one decision out of the whole year. It's like, if I could have flipped that, that would mean it's sometimes when I've done the calculations, like I've had higher heat scores or, I've actually tallied um, the year Tyler won. I know I probably shouldn't do the math on things, but I actually tallied. <laughs> is, is this healthy or unhealthy to do, Sally? 100%. 100%. <laughs> like in one of the years, like I, I had actually had more points accrued than before the drops than the actual champ. And I'm going, I know that this, this game makes sense, but no sense in some – but I know in the long run I've been better off for it. I wouldn't actually change it for the world. It's mm. created my constant drive to get up every single morning and go, ah, I can do this a little bit better. I don't know, maybe winning titles early on in my career, 
I wouldn't have evolved because I'm most definitely not the surfer I was when I first qualified in 2008. I consider over my years I've I've pushed and, and pride myself on evolving and I guess the random feedback you get sometimes, you go back to these locations where there's world tour events on it and they're like, I just don't remember you surfing like like that. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, in a good way. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, I've just never seen you surf like that. And so, yeah, as I said, I wouldn't change it for the world, but I, it is a roller coaster ride to experience that. It's like putting the thing you've wanted the most right in front of you. Literally, like, you can reach it and then just go and psych, like, every time, just taking it away. But, I don't know, in a way sometimes when I hear them kind of state the facts about the world champs that we have and no doubt these women are some of the best outside of the sport women's surfing's ever seen. And in some small way maybe I feel like I've been a part of that because I've been the one when they show up, they see my face and they see they like think to themselves, I've won all these titles but I don't know, you still, you're here and you're pushing me to go on and win more maybe. I don't know, but I've kind of forced them to evolve at the same time because if they showed up with the same performances, um, by all means I feel like um, I could come in and trump them if, if they weren't willing to evolve at the same time. Totally. And, I mean, it goes without saying, like, this happens in every sport, like where there are athletes or there are teams that are, performing at such a high level but don't quite get the title you know when we're talking about your i mean it is amazing your consistency in the top five but someone brought up sort of the buffalo bills nfl team of the late 80s and early 90s who were so close to winning a super bowl so many times but they couldn't get there and then you can look at someone you mentioned you know sylvana lima or a taj burrow or a jordy smith and the impact that they still make on their sport but it doesn't make them any less legendary that they haven't won the title. But I wonder if you think about that and you think about your imprint on the sport and will a title mean more to you if you do get one, I guess is a question. Because I'm going to go to your surfing in a second because I am of the opinion that you are surfing better than you ever have. And we already talked about what my opinion was the very first heat. So Yeah, cheers, Dave. That's really humbling to hear. It's something, yeah, I, I guess... Without that title, that's what challenges you because, like, you see all these moments, even when you see um, some vision in the in the review and they only kind of feature the the champions, rightly so, but, like, the ones that have held the title. And you think, like, oh, gosh, like, if at the end of the day, like, that little sting, is that always going to be there? Will it feel like I was invisible in a sense? Like, mm. was I ever there if I'm not ever, ever a part of, like, maybe the – you know, the, the boards they put out with everyone's name champ <laughs> this year and um, the montage clips and that kind of thing. And the, the longer I stick around, the more I feel so a part of it. Like, mm. And I have this sense of like, ah, I can't hop out of this and look back, especially when I get to, to relive stories like at um, Fiji and overcoming a bunch of the injuries I've had and um, yeah. and just showing back up even when it's been the hardest and going, you know, my heart's been broken that season before, but I'm going to show back up and perform the best I've ever performed. Yeah, and I think to myself, like, ah, oh, like, you keep getting back up. Like, how, sometimes I look at myself and think, like, are you ready to just stop trying? And 
every time I think that, I'm like, nah, no way. Like, and then you just see this next generation kind of bubbling up and you think, all right, they may, they may be the new story. They have all the hype and stuff. This is my chance to, to stick around, be kind of undercover and do my, my thing in the peace and calm of like being one of the veterans, you know what I mean? But I just don't know how good I can get on my board. And when I show up in an event, like even at Narrabeen last week, you see some of the manoeuvres going down and you're like, I just have this burning desire to see what that feels like. <laughs> and that's a life's work in itself. Like I may not get there either or stomp an air to that height, but yeah, I'll definitely die trying. Agnostic of your results on tour, which are very, very impressive. Just speaking about your own surfing from your rookie season through now, do you think it's been a progression every year, every season on tour for you? Or do you think there were like performative cul-de-sacs where you were like, all right, I kind of dipped that season, but then I came back stronger. Or do you think you've gotten better every season? I, I kind of feel like it, it definitely took some like some sharp like rises and then some plateaus to really mm. think about, okay, is that plateau going to go? You have a choice here. Is it going to dip? <laughs> and sitting on the plateau going like, if you keep going, maybe it had been um, the environment that I created. Maybe it was like people or too much of something that I've brought into my life, you know, whether it's coaching systems, this, that, um, am I being pulled too many ways? Is that why I've sort of plateaued? I haven't just given the space to go and, and work on my surfing and be wholeheartedly in that. So you'd sit on the plateau, check out the view and go, no, I want to go up. <laughs> and so you you have to clear a bunch of stuff out of your life. And that's hard enough in itself. Like, you know, coming close to titles or losing events, it's got the sting and, and you have a lot, you know, you shed your tears and then you go again. But in life sometimes to move a few of those pieces might take a year or two, like to get that cleansed and out of your life and get the space back. So I think you have to really guard your own space. I've learned with all you got and especially your performance space because you want to keep going like that. I feel maybe I've had two of those plateaus and and just kicking into kind of that one now where I just feel like I'm rising in terms of my performance. You've had a number of board builders that you've worked on throughout your, your decade on tour. I think I remember you winning Rio. I want to say it was 2012 on like um, even like an alternative shape. I think it was like a shred sled or a psychedelic germ from Hayden Shapes. Maybe you can correct me on that. But I, I remember watching you do it and it just was so like cool to see because everyone's just so set on there. Like this is my Ferrari thruster. I ride it when it's like crumbly onshore one foot or when it's like six foot and offshore. And I just love that you, you were willing to surf like a, a, just a slightly different shape and it works so well, but you're riding sharp eyes now. And it, it feels like even last year during the countdown series and watching you surf at Fingal, you're surfing faster and sharper. And I, I wanted to get your take on how important the relationship is with the shapers throughout your career. And specifically now that you're working with Marcio um, at sharp eye. Yeah, the board's on your feet and working with shapers, I I always want more time than I guess that you can get because obviously the teams are really full. Um, there's a, a, a pedigree of amazing surfers. I just try and pick up all the pieces I can and learn as fast as I can when I'm kind of in their presence. Uh, but I feel like there's still a, a really cool chapter coming up where I can just park myself in a bay and even listening to um, Geordie talk about 
uh, on <laughs> one of the latest podcasts when he was talking about learning that there's not too many on tour that could shape their own boards. And that's so true. And just love sitting with someone like him even and just picking his brain because I think it's so special, that relationship um, with you and your board and what's under your feet. But then being able to talk to your shaper like that, yeah, it's sort of like that's where I want to progress to. Um, over the years, uh, I feel like, yeah, that I have been able to traverse a bunch of different technologies, um, obviously coming from through DH when I was, you know, really young and then um, on the Firewire. Uh, and then, like you said, even I've been sometimes pigeonholed and always being like, you know, so rigid and on your, your kind of your, your Ferrari models and not kind of looking towards that alternative equipment. But I, I have so much fun on it. I have um, even in my shed, you know, I've got a, a bunch of MR twinnies and single fins. And when I'm at home, I really kind of um, like to experiment and, and feel, I guess, a different line on a wave is so important. Um, but now kind of progressing, I had some, some great years with JS. I feel like he produced some unbelievable boards um, and really got me to transition back from kind of epoxy all the time onto PU and learn my PU boards really well. And then now he's been like passing me on over to Sharpie, um, was more, I guess, looking for that fresh feel, like you said, um, in this Olympic year, we have a lot of beach break surfing and looking forward to Japan. And I just kind of looked across all the shaping brands and thought, well, the best R&D for that sort of surfing is going into boards um, at Sharpie from the likes of Kanoa and Felipe and those mm. kind of guys. And, yeah, I sort of wanted to facilitate the surfing I wanted to do um, with these shapes that kind of have that in their, uh, in their R&D and in, in their bloodline. So um, it's been a great start. I feel like um, we've really dialed in what we need for like we said, beach breaks and small waves and then we're going to really progress to those step-ups and get to give them a good run, obviously, moving over to Margaret River. For sure. Well, I'm glad you talked about that because this podcast is dropping, I think, a week out from the start of the next CT stop, which is the Boost Mobile Margaret River Pro presented by Corona. How many boards are you bringing over there? Because that is an event where you can run at a number of different spots. It is breaking my brain, Dave, to think like <laughs> I'd like to be all cool, calm about, but this new proposed schedule, um, we all knew it was going to be crazy trying to apply yourself to multiple stops we haven't surfed. You know, moving, obviously we have our mainstay of Margaret River and the Boost Mobile Pro there is one that I love to visit um, and having a win there is, and, and the name on the stairs, it's really sentimental for sure. But yeah, just to try and pack these board bags with, big boards like you might be surfing huge mugs or maybe box or then you go to Rottnest and I, I haven't surfed there but I've, I've heard a lot about it that it's super fun but I guess it although it's stressful sometimes like as I said you sort of enjoy the stress in a very fortunate position that I, I feel like I've got boards for any stop I just have to have them at the right stops at the right time if that makes sense so but yeah I'm, I'm psyched but my packing brain is definitely like steam coming out of the ears. 
Well, you're not you're not the only one because I'm one of the fortunate people that get to hang out on the surfer group WhatsApp thread and just have to catch up on the 3000 messages every morning when I wake up. <laughs> but for as much as people think surfers are pretty like cruisy and resilient and adaptable, like any tiny amount of change that's introduced into their lives and everyone <laughs> explodes. Everyone's like, what do you mean? Like we're changing the day or we're changing like the venue. Like, tell me more. And it's like, all right, just calm down. But you have had fantastic success in in West Oz and you're you're one of the few people on tour men and women but specifically on the women's side that even paddles out at the box and like describe those experiences for the listeners like how long have you been doing that for and and what pushes you out there <laughs> that's it Dave they say we're the cruisiest cats around hey it's fake news we're all highly <laughs> strong <laughs> huge fake news it's all, going back to like that's some bullshit curated imagery that's not not getting out to the public <laughs> exactly but I think um, my solo missions that you'll see me out in the surf sometimes and, and it looks horrendous it's on shore and there's no one out and he's like what is she doing out there um Again, it just kind of comes back to, to home. That's kind of where my heartbeat is down at, um, you know, on the south coast. There's a lot of kind of uh, solo, just rugged paddle out and just experience connecting with the mood of the ocean. Um, I try and use that to my advantage, especially trying to learn new spots. I don't know. I don't get a lot of hype around like, oh, I'll get all these people and a caddy and a coach and everything to paddle out. Like I've had some phenomenal intel and coaches over the years and big shout out to anyone that's kind of a part of any wisdom into my journey but there's that moment where I just want to go and feel it out for myself like no one going go this one now whoa. like you know when it's like big or a hectic spot there's already enough like in like kind of highly strong energy anyway so I don't really like if I take off on one and go over the ledge and face plant into the reef or whatever I feel like at least I drove myself over the falls. It wasn't someone going like, you should go this one, like go, go, go. And sometimes just out of kindness and connection and respect to coaches, I think like, oh, I better go the one they said. But sometimes it's like <laughs> they don't know either if it's going to be a good one or a bad one. So one of my first times I looked out at the box and it wasn't obviously like the bigger crazy day. I just looked and I was like, well, it's breaking, it sort of needs to be like three or four foot to break. And I was like, well, there's no one out there. Like, I don't know, maybe I just sit out there. And so I paddled out through the reef and I was just bobbing up and down. And uh, I was just looking around, I was like, oh, yeah, I think this is where you sit. Got a, like one on the head and then rolled another one. And then I got a couple of cool little ones and started to get the feel of it. Anyway, so I was out there and came in and apparently, yeah, there was totally like a shark out there. <laughs> and I was just bobbing around thinking this is awesome. Um, so sometimes my plans aren't super well thought thought out, but uh, it's been the best way for me to learn spots, get comfortable. But it's always, in a sense, like all these spots that are pinned out to be pretty gnarly spots, are, um, they're always going to be fearful and have a level of anxiety. Um I can't speak for the other women on tour, but just the amount of times we've seen the inside of like a, a, a gaping box barrel or even been out pipe and see one, like you don't actually, even when you free surf, you might not get a wave. So the only time, literally if you're watching us in a heat with the jersey on, it may be one of the few times 
you'll see us in or out of one of those crazy ones. And so, of course, it's going to be a bit like, like you just feel (laughs) like, okay, something big's going to happen and I've got to push myself here Um, because we're learning. Well, I'm learning. I can only speak for myself, but I'm learning a lot of the time. So that's why moments at like big Fiji and that kind of thing or paddling out at Hawaii, like pipe didn't go, you know, exactly to plan. I only got two ones to show for it, but man, it was a week of learning and I was so proud of myself. But that's the moments where, yeah, I'm, I'm just showing up and having a go. Yeah, geez. Like I have been to West Isles a few times and not surf the box, but I would be taking anyone off the street that wanted to come out there with me because of shark fears. I'd be like, yep, you come and then you come and then this kid, you bunch of you kids, you come with me. So I'm massive respect for you paddling out there at all, let alone by yourself. I'll come with you, Dad. Oh, good. Yeah, you drag me out there next time. That'd be really helpful. The um, <laughs> I'll watch from the shoulder. The um, This year, the world title will be decided at the Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles in September. New way to determine the world champ. Based on your history, you would have been in nine of these in your 11 years on tour because you finished in the top five. And I put good money on it. You're going to be in the top five this year. What do you think about what lowers is going to be like on finals day and and what do you think about your chances of being there and winning the world title oh god i'm so excited about it they i i so want to be there i'm so pumped i think it's a a pretty incredible opportunity um especially like i was saying at this point in your career um you're going to be mixing with multi-generations and ones that could definitely you know, I've won a bunch of events and run off with the title, but it just pulls the field all back into this exciting moment where it's possible again. I definitely want to wake up on that day and be in that five. And it was very humbling. I do have to give you props on the time machine with, with Pado. You definitely gave me the nod um, <laughs> when you're doing hypotheticals for one of the titles. So I have a pseudo title. That's um, right. You get a lineup title. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's all that matters. If only. What if was you the venue? Which a, one was it? What one was it for? I don't even remember. Um, I remember you gosh, giving I, it to you. Yeah, it was. It was a little while back, but it was like it was on the left. Maybe it was macaroni. Mac- macaronis, maybe. Yeah. 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 So I'll sure. take that. Maybe if you guys, you should make little cups. I'll yeah, just, I'll we, we could do something. So totally. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's so funny, right? Because the entire finals conversation I've been in the room on, and then talking often in the room about it and I was skeptical is probably a conservative way to put it at first and I, I was concerned about legitimacy and I remember the first time we had the conversation with the world champs and every single one of them to a person was like yeah yeah we love this and I was like oh well like who am I like if the world champs love it whatever but their arguments to me were really really convincing of them just saying look like we don't want to win our world title like sitting in the locker room or sitting in the team house while the challenger loses to a wild card or loses in a slow heat. They like, and it just happened that it happened in 2019 for the men where they're like, we want to win the way Italo won. We want to win in the last heat of the year against the next best person and and at like a premium wave. And I'm like, oh, look, that all sounds awesome. Like that that, that level of surfer would want to test themselves against the best surfers of the season. And I'm like, cool, I'm sold, I'm in, this sounds awesome. But yeah, we'll see how lowers goes, I'm excited. And I, I, I'll i put even money on it, you being there, no question. 
like with, with sport in general across the board, it's always going to have bias. So if your surfer was more likely to win in the regular season, then you'd be like, no finals, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then for us challenges, we're like, that's two shots. Like you just got to make the five and then you can go at all the top dogs all at once. And if it's your day, it's your day. Like on finals day, you could wake up and it's just like everything, the ocean gods are in your favor, body, mind, everything. And I don't know, that's a pretty cool sport moment too if – I don't know, one of the challenges did rise up and just was unstoppable. Um, so it, either way, it's going to be memorable. I, I find that the champs that are multiple champs as it is, they all feel a little bit at the moment like kind of like the Michael Jordan doco where Jordan needed <laughs> he needed people to kind of rev up, like rev his engine and get him going. Like, I want to beat you so bad again. So maybe it kind of revives their whole you know, train of thought and why they show up and what they want to do. I mean, based on the performances so far this season, I'd say it's probably accurate. How many more years do you think you're going to do the CT? Uh, I just want to keep going. Like, I just, I really, I've cleared the space in my life in a sense that to have that minimal responsibility, I can be at any of these events in the drop of a hat and, and be there fully without distractions. And that's the hardest thing as you get older because you can start to develop your life outside of surfing. But I just, you know, I know home's going to be here when I, when I'm finished. Um, but I just want to, I just owe it to myself. Like I've come this far in the story. It's or, or almost like writing your own ultimate Netflix series, you know, and I, <laughs> I don't know what the ending is yet. So I want to keep watching the episodes too. And then, as I said, I, I just feel in my, my body and my surfing, and what I can learn even in my equipment. And by being around the best, that's the only way I can get better. So I got to keep showing up at the events. I love it. So we've got a couple questions from the Instagram community. We got, we put a feeder out there and uh, there were a lot that came back, but we whittled it down to three. First question is from Baden underscore Mooney underscore, um, who asks, what is your favorite Australian break? Oh, that's like picking your favorite child. That's the <laughs> hardest thing ever. God, I know there's one sentimental ones like event-wise to compete at Bells. Like it may not be like my favorite way of all time, but to sit out there in the lineup, it just feels like really spiritual. And also like when we compete at Snapper as well, like I remember as a kid driving up um, from home, it's about 12-hour drive, but, and I still do the drive if we compete <laughs> at Snapper, that, yeah, I just never knew a wave could be that long. The first time, like, I, <laughs> I rode a wave all the way through Rainbow, and, and to, I just thought it was like a surfer's paradise. And, but, yeah, even though there's all these, like, world-class waves in Australia, the moment that I can be at home and surf a little beach bag rip bowl by myself, I still get the most joy out <laughs> of. And um, sharing that like with a mate or if I'm solo or something um, still takes the cake. I get that. It feels like you're in the right spot. I'm all for it. All right. <laughs> I'm going to definitely screw this name up. I know who is Sconin. I'm, I'm so sorry. Asks, if the WSL had a team competition format, who would you choose as your teammate? I really like this question. Oh, is it male or female? How about we do both? What if it was what if it was uh, <laughs> women and or mixed doubles? <laughs> women or mixed doubles? Ultimate teammate. Ooh, 
I know. Don't take too long. Don't take <laughs> too long. If it was an Aussie, I would definitely go um, Kiel's, Keely Andrew. Mm. She's my ultimate like strategist. Um, we come up with <laughs> we come up with some pretty good plans together. She is surfing so well this season too. Holy crap! Yeah, so Kiel's up, and um, okay. and then on the male side, there's like a million people. <laughs> okay, I kind of have this thing at the moment. My super coach, air coach, is Griff Collar. So oh, Griff okay. Collar would be be the male. Good answers. I like that one. All right, last one is from L. Sealand, who asks, "What is your favorite snack?" Oh, I love food. You've really <laughs> spoken to my heart. Um, I feel like it's so important to nourish yourself. Food is my escape, along with with running. Best snack would be. Oh, that's so hard on the spot, isn't it? I love. Oh gosh, I just love chicken soup. Like making a pot of soup at home. And it's just on the stove and say, like, that's kind of a tradition in our house. If you've flown somewhere or driven into the city for work, someone in the house, like, makes this pot of soup and you come home and it's like your soul just, like, it's like this big warm hug and you stand at the stove and, like, eat it out of the pot. I don't know if that's really bad to say, but <laughs> it's just so good. It sounds so wholesome. I'm, I'm envy. I'm envious at the moment. That sounds really nice. I'll make, I'll make it for everyone, you. Time, everyone babe. listening to this podcast is going to be, like, looking around at their family being like, hey, next time I leave, can, I, can we have the soup <laughs> thing happen? Like, that sounds really nice. I'm into it's it. It's so good. Yeah. I love it. All right. So the final segment, and since you're a listener, you'll know this one, is the lightning round. So these are 10 questions. You can answer as fast as you can. Gotcha. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Oh, I feel like uh, it's definitely a tie break, but there's so much I still have to learn on a wave and what I want to do. And I feel like thruster is going to take me there, Dave, so thruster. Makes sense. Coffee or tea? Tea. Burrito or pizza? Oh, a really good prawn pizza. Get me every time. Or, or like pumpkin, like rocket, pine nut. Yeah, so pizza. Last book you read? Oh, this is going to sound really weird and big-headed. Um, I actually reread the two books I wrote because I was cleaning out the garage and it was a really cathartic process. I thought like, it was like reading a, a journal kind of and I was like, oh, that's what I've been up to the last few years. So if I wasn't, if I wasn't reading my own book, <laughs> it sounds so bad. Um, I'm actually reading All Our Shimmering Skies, Trent Dalton. I like it. I, I, I admire that you can read your own stuff. I've got some stuff from the university writing program that I did, and I can't, I can't get past the first sentence. I just like, oh, yeah. and there's um, a bunch of recipes too. Like, cause I was like cooking to, you know, like my favorite yeah, yeah, recipes. Yeah, of course, I was like yeah. trying to remember them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm into, I'm into that. <laughs> uh, best surf film ever. Oh, trilogy, hands down. Mm, I like that one too. One wave you never have to go back to. Oh, I know all waves are beautiful, but Barra on low tide when it comes out, like all the soupy stuff comes out of the river. Mm -hmm. Like I mm -hmm. just is so polluted. I just couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. And that hotel we stay in where you can see the line moving across Oh, and it was aqua. It was, like, it was like fluorescent green and oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So if, everyone, if we keep them clean, then, yeah, like totally cool wave. Fun wave to surf. Yeah, really fun. 
If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life, which is it? Home for sure. Yeah, there's just so many little angles and little hidey holes. So yeah, home. <laughs> Best person to share a lineup with? Uh, oh, my old man, Marty, gets a call up. Love it. <laughs> Worst person to share a lineup with? Ah, uh, this is a tough one. Oh, no, I know, I know, I know. Definitely Jesse Miley Dyer. Okay, I like Durban, totally just paddles you outside the competition zone. Around the pier, Dave. I'm talking like, see you later. Like she was just like chase, kick chasing. So Jesse, worst person to share a lineup with. <laughs> That's the first time we've heard her. We usually get the top 34 as a collective. They, they get a lot of uh, answers on that question. So No, nah, Jess is gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Zipping up my four different board bags, and so I'm ready to go. Waxing up, new board, and running out front. I love it. Sally Fitzgibbons, thanks for joining us on the lineup. Good luck in Margaret River, and good luck in the rest of the season. Cheers, Dave. Absolute pleasure, and keep bringing us these conversations. Love them. So that's it. That's the lineup's conversation with Sally Fitzgibbons. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you get your fantasy teams locked in to the upcoming Boost Mobile Margaret River Pro presented by Corona at worldsurfleague.com backslash fantasy. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Kichdavagnar, and the Wadi Wadi Aboriginal people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. 
shopify.com slash lineup. 